for us, so many brands, I don't believe your employees all understand your story. And I don't believe a lot of brands truly understand their customer. And I don't think there's an excuse for that in 2017. Hey, it's episode 51 of Leading Matters. Today's guest is Brian Fanzo. You're going to love this episode. I say that all the time. I know I'm guilty of it, but I believe it every time I say it because my guests have been awesome. I, I, I learn so much. I gain so much value. I make such great connections. I uh, try to connect others through the podcast, and it's uh, just gotten great feedback from it. And Brian's uh, episode today is, is really no exception. He it's a really interesting guy. You're going to love his backstory about how he came to step out on his own to be an entrepreneur, how he's developed his community of followers across live streaming platforms such as Periscope and Facebook Live, his two podcasts. He talks about all of it. But in particular, I want you to pay close attention to when we get into his work with SAP. SAP is a big software company for those that, that don't know. And it's it's compelling. It's a compelling case study in how to move the needle on how you're handling media. Now, look, my audience is decidedly split into two. I get a lot of business leaders, business owners, uh, marketing leaders of large companies. But I also get a lot of entrepreneurs and solopreneurs as well. And there's always, look, every, I try to position this chat that I have with my guests so it benefits both those crowds. And, and again, today is no exceptions because if you're a large organization, listen to what Brian was able to accomplish, accomplish with SAP, how he focused in on small victories before they kind of swung for the fence. I think that's the term he used. And also the necessity of having a change agent within the client. But then listen to the conversation, um, and that's what the lead-in is to the, the cold open there. He's talking about, listen, there's really no excuse in today's day and age to not have your story down. And, and why is that? Because the media options that are at your fingertips, literally in your pocket with your smartphones, are limitless. But you don't get to take advantage of them until and unless you refine the story and start to use it. So if a large organization like SAP could tap into what Brian's doing and leverage him as an influencer to get the ball moving within that large organization, absolutely and surely you can as well, no matter how large uh, or small your organization is, or indeed if you're a solopreneur or an entrepreneur. And look, best thing I have to say for you on that is I'm a, I'm a one-man band, right? I don't, I don't really have, um, you know, I get some, some uh, freelance help every now and again, but I produce all of my content on my own. And it's doable. And I you know, produce a fair amount of it. I, by the way, I think Brian does a good fair uh, amount of his own content production as well. If you can find the time, you can make the time to better capitalize and leverage those platforms to get your message across, uh, but you have you, you can find it. So find that time and, and take listen, take in what Brian's saying here, listen to it a couple, two, three times, and put it to use. As always, I think you're going to love it. If you do, please go visit the show on iTunes and give it a, a thumbs up and a, and a high rating. And also share this one around because I really believe, as I do with most of my guests, that more people need to hear what a guy like Brian Fanzo is talking about. So with no further ado, my interview with the man known on social media as iSocialFans, Brian Fanzo. My guest today likes to say that he talks fast and tweets faster he is a self-proclaimed, proud, pager-wearing millennial and has keynoted over 50 events in more than 10 countries, and I believe that was 2016 alone. He's the founder and CEO of his social strategy consulting agency called iSocialFonds. 
hosts the social media and cloud technology podcast Smack Talk and has recently launched his second podcast called FOMO Fonts. That is dedicated to helping listeners cure the fear of missing out. He's also embraced live video across just about every platform where it is available, and that's how I've come to know him. He's fantastic at that. He's Brian Fanzo, and I am absolutely thrilled that he's my guest today on Leading Matters. Brian, thank you so much for taking time to join me today. Oh, thank you for having me on. Excited to be here. It's a, it's a rainy day. I live in Northern Virginia area. A rainy day, so it's a perfect day for some podcast uh, interviewing. Ah, good. I'm glad. It's rainy here, too, in the Philadelphia region, so I agree. So let's jump in and get, go ahead and talk about it. But listen, you said you're a pager-carrying millennium, so i got to ask you this question to see how true that is. What was the shorthand if you were telling your significant other back in high school, I miss you? What was the numbers for that? Do you remember? Ooh, that's actually really good. Um, I don't remember. Um <laughs> Was it one fourth? No. Um, interesting. Uh, yeah, it was one four three, right? I love you. <laughs> I honestly don't know. I'm a little older than you, but the uh, uh, a friend of mine. We were just talking about pagers the other day, and she was giving me this whole pager shorthand, which I didn't even know existed because I, I was a little bit past my time at that point. But I just thought maybe you might know. <laughs> I think it is. I think it's one four three because I think it's the uh, you know, one uh, a number for each one of the letters. So the I being one. One and then four letters in love and then three letters in you. I think that's what it was. <laughs> uh, very good. So listen, Brian, there's a lot I want to dive into here, uh, but I want to orient my audience that might not know you or, or may even be hearing you for the first time. So could you take a minute or two just to give my audience the I Social Fans 101? Sure. So I like you know I I introduce myself as a change evangelist, and really what that means is I've had a very um, interesting background, probably. Uh, more unique than most people in the in the marketing or text you know digital space. Um, I went to school for computer science. Uh, I played college hockey. Uh, president of my fraternity. Um, got out of college. Couldn't really find a tech job. Uh, ended up working in UPS uh, for about 15 months uh, delivering packages, and then uh, took a job at an entry level help desk in cybersecurity. And uh, 10 years later, I, I grew that job into a um, training and deployment uh, solution where I had uh, 32 direct reports. We were deploying uh, four training courses a week around the world um, at every military base uh, that was a U.S. military base. And I, I, started, I traveled about 45 weeks a year, um, multiple trips to Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and for me, it was a lot of it was working with the military, uh, the different branches of the military, deploying cyber tools, but focused on how we could get them to collaborate across branches of the military. So it was uh, you know, getting the Army to collaborate with the Navy and, and Air Force with the Marine Corps. And you know, uh, it was definitely an interesting um, job and, and world. And um, I, I, had a, I had a dream job and a, and a great position. And I had a, a mentor kind of um, – actually, it's still a reverse mentorship that I have still today. And we were talking about just where I was at. And you know, I wasn't 30 yet. I was just turning 30 um, that summer. And he was kind of you know, how, outlining that I was the, uh, I was in a perfect situation. I had, I had a dream job in an industry that was booming and, and it kind of set me off in this world where I loved what I was doing, but cyber security really wasn't for me. I like mm. to refer to it kind of as like the war on drugs. Uh, you know, when we did something good, um, nobody noticed when we did something bad, you know, a drone could fall out of the sky or, you know, an active duty military person could be put in harm's way. And, and for me, I'm a very, you know, positive, um, optimistic type person. I wanted to really kind of drive larger change. So um, I gave up my security clearance. I gave up um, my government role. I left uh, cybersecurity 
and I actually went to a data center cloud computing company um, that was a booming startup out of Phoenix, Arizona, and I became a what was known as the technology evangelist, which was uh, a job that I had always dreamed of having. It was a kind of a merge between Guy Kawasaki, who was the Apple evangelist, and Robert Scoble, who was the Microsoft evangelist. And I had a unique role where I reported to the CEO, but I had a dotted line to the CMO and the CIO. So I got to have uh, a really a, a, a dream job in the sense where I got to help the, the partners, the clients, the customers understand their pain points. I got to relate with all of the product teams as well as the marketing teams. And it was a lot of fun. It was it grew. Um, the, the company tripled in size in the two years that I was there. And as as I was growing and as I was realizing what I was doing, it was a it was a point where we start we were going through a merger and I decided to go out on my own. And so since then, I've been speaking. I do a lot of consulting around what I like to call new media or the, the marketing tools that are really technology tools that have now fallen inside of marketing. And um, like you said, I host two podcasts and I, I'm, a, I'm a proud geek. I'm a big geek in the sense of I love technology, but more so than that, I usually for me, it's helping brands understand where technology fits and then sometimes where we need to remove technology and focus more on the people. That's great. I'm glad you really took time to, to kind of give that condensed journey there because that's why I'm really wanted to have you on the show because I think I find it you know interesting that you mentioned Kawasaki and, and Scoble there, right? Because it, it's funny, you know, I, I can remember when those guys were really just kind of getting known, like if this especially, you know, guy when he said something, people paid attention to it and and, and it was way before media was as free flowing as it was today, and it wasn't that long ago, right? But they're kind of trailblazers in that space. But yet now, now I find your journey—you could have, you could have sunk your teeth into specific areas of technology and gone full bore down that path. But yet you're you're a little bit more broader, um, broadly focused today. And I'm curious, as, as when you made that decision to kind of go out on your own, did you? look to follow a model or a precedent that was set before you or just, hey, I'm going to explore this application of new media as it applies right now, you know, today and, and unlock and unleash new avenues to take advantage of it? Well, that's a great question because for me, I, you know, I, it had been years, you know, I think my last two years at the government job, um, everyone was kind of saying, Brian, we're ready for you to just jump ship and, you know, become an entrepreneur. We see you as a CEO. And, um, I grew up in a very entrepreneur family. My, my dad was a, he owned a candy company, um, a peanut brittle company and that he had grown and, and sold. And so I, but for me, entrepreneurship was extremely scary, um, because I loved my enterprise job. I loved my startup job. I, I mean, I absolutely had have zero complaints. I, you know, if I had, um, you know, middle management problems, I found ways to work around it or work with them. You know, if, um, I never really looked at the jobs that I had as, um, as bad and needing to get out of them. But I, if you would have asked me when I was leaving, I feel like I had a plan. I had some, you know, I, I was, I followed, uh, of course, um, Gary Vaynerchuk very closely and Jay Bear, um, Jay Bear on the marketing side, Gary on the on kind of the entrepreneur business side. But I also had different um, aspirations and goals than Gary, and and I had been very lucky. Um, you know, early on uh, in that startup job, I, I got awarded the uh, top 25 social business leaders uh, of the future by the Economist, 
And what that allowed me to do is allowed me to travel around with the other 25 or 24 um, people and and really um, go to a TED event and go to a lot of these uh, influencer events. And I got to work with Scott Monty, who, of course, um, is credited for a lot of the, the change in enterprise social media for what he did at Ford. And the interesting thing is, I think when I look back, I've, done, I've been doing a lot of self-assessment, especially in 2016. I realized that for me, uh, comfort is something that I, I don't handle very well because um, I was diagnosed ADHD uh, at 31 years old, and I, I probably have had it my entire life. School was a struggle. I, I really struggled through school, but I had I had perfect attendance I, because I loved people. I loved going to school and, and collaborating in the community, but I was never one that could sit down and read a book. And a lot of my life changed when I, um, I did get diagnosed ADHD. It kind of gave me a better understanding of my thought process of where I uh, where I go with things, why I make certain decisions. And I think part of it ends up being is I do really Im- enjoy change and I enjoy the challenge. And I also felt like I really wanted to impact uh, the greater amount of people that I could, but I didn't want to do it the way anyone else was doing it. So I will say that I, um, I study a lot of people but I, I study a lot of why they do it, not exactly what they're doing, so that I can fit it into my game plan. So at this moment, I, I really am trying. Um, I, I've been building and investing um, in my community for about four years with the goal that 2018 would be the year that I would release kind of more of a, a product-focused fo- agenda. And so 2017 uh, is the year I'm going to set that up with a, a book release later on this year, and then we'll see what 2018 has to hold. No, that's uh, that's interesting to get some insight into where you you see your own business efforts headed, right? And I'm I'm glad you brought up the fact that you, matter of fact, I had Jay Bear and Scott Monty on the show too, so I'm really encouraged to, to hear that your work's been somewhat influenced by by theirs and Gary's as well. But I'm curious because I just saw right before I dialed you up today, I saw that uh, VaynerMedia or Gary purchased PureWow, which is a women's publishing house, digital publishing house, focusing on like 25 to 45 year old demo. And according to the Wall Street Journal, he's using this as a cornerstone to build this new company called The Gallery. And you see, to me, this is where I find Gary's brilliance, that he is a complete master of where media is today and where it's heading. And he sees it, in my opinion, as an advertising equation. In other words, how am I going to drive advertising through this media landscape? So I'm curious, what do you make of acquisitions like this? But more importantly, because I want to get to your Sapphire, your SAP Sapphire appearance in just a bit here. More importantly, do you think that there is potential for larger trade media sectors to duplicate this sort of consumer media co- you know, coalescence? So no, I, and you know, I I couldn't agree more with you on the Gary um, strategy side. I believe. You know, um, when when a lot of companies are zigging and zagging, I believe Gary looks a step above that, right, and looks beyond. And you know, jab jab jab, right hook and utility. Jay Bear's book and and Gary's book. I actually read them both the same month that I decided to go out on my own, and it was one of those things where I was reading them, and they they both shaped a lot of what I talk about. And one of the things that I think Gary does better than anyone out there right now is he sets up that right hook without you realizing that all of those jabs were really making it to the point where you have no business other than saying yes to whatever he's asking for, including kind of the advertising, including understanding the media play. And I think right now, you know, there's a there's a stat out there by um, Cisco, the Cisco Index Report, and it says that, you know, 80, 81% of the internet traffic by 2020 will be video. And that doesn't mean it'll be good video, but the, the emergence of media 
And I believe, and this is one of was actually one of my predictions for 2017. I believe social media as well as media as a whole, a lot of that budget is going to be shifted out of the marketing department. And we're going to see that sitting into the human resources department, the recruiting department, the customer experience and customer service department, because I believe we're, we're merging into this time where the digital native. So I'm a, I'm a millennial. I was born in 81, but I'm, I'm barely a millennial. That's why I say I'm a, a pager wearing millennial. But the digital natives, the, those that really were born into the iPhone world, born into the Facebook world, they're not okay with disruption of their experiences, such as commercials. They're not okay with digital banner ads that have nothing to do with what they're actually viewing. And so this idea of captured attention, which is, of course, is what Gary talks about as lot, a, a lot as well. I think every brand has to think, how do I capture someone's attention? How do I keep their attention? And then how do I get them coming back for more? And I believe that is where a lot of these decisions, like what Gary's uh, company announced this morning, I think it's a lot of it coming down to how do I create media? How do I create content? How do I break down the barrier between the brand and the consumer? Because for the longest time, we focus on making those things as far apart as possible as, as brands grew. And I think now we've realized the need to kind of shrink the distance between the CEO and the actual customer of a company. And I think lots of companies can learn from these trends. And it's not too late. I actually, I, I have, uh, I've been quoted a lot of times saying that I think the healthcare industry and the financial industries are probably two of the more, um, I would say, set up industries that are posed to make some very innovative decisions because they haven't sunk their teeth in social media or digital. They've been kind of dragging their feet. And it's been probably a detriment up until now. I believe technology and the rate of change are so fast at this current moment that they could technically embrace it. And they don't have to unlearn what we kind of learned for the last couple of years where it said, hey, this isn't working broadcasting. This isn't working disrupting. Nobody wants to be sold or marketed to. And so I think it's going to be an interesting change over the next probably two to three years where we see some of the industries that were, I would say, quote unquote, not innovative in this space start to be look like the industries that are setting the bar because they're not having to unlearn and they haven't really polarized their audience. That's interesting. I hadn't even considered that, but I think you're uh, I think you're spot on with that. And, and let me actually use that as a as a catalyst to talk about your appearance at SAP Sapphire event. And for those of my audience that don't know, SAP is a large enterprise software company. They have a huge event in Orlando every year called Sapphire. I think they call it Sapphire now. And it's like the ultimate insider's event for people that use uh, SAP software of any stripe or, or the partner ecosystem around it. There's lots of partner software companies and hardware companies that build around the, the SAP ecosystem. And, I, and the reason why I took note of it, Brian, because I, I worked for SAP for about three or four years, and I know the community, right? It's a very heavy-duty um, you know, they're, they're very, I would describe them for my audience as like the, what you would think of as a traditional corporate employee lifer almost, right? Whether it's HR or finance or, or whatnot. So when I saw, now I had been following you for a couple of months and all of a sudden you start popping up on Sapphire's uh, live channel and you were doing some live broadcast there and I was fascinated by it because it was something, again, knowing what I know about SAP and you'll have to mention the gentleman's name who brought you there because I forget I forget who it was, but knowing what I know about SAP, I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting that they're doing this because it's kind of the antithesis of what they've done for their history, right? So you know, talk to me about that event, you know, what, what the goal was there, why, whether or not it was successful and if you think that more 
companies like SAP, large and small, could tap in to leveraging media to have that sort of experience that you provided during Sapphire? Well, you know, it's it's an interesting space because, you know, I think traditionally B2B has used the fact that they are B2B as a crutch, as an excuse to either not embrace change or to think that they don't need to do the same things as consumer companies. And I think that's a that's that's a that's a fault of a majority of the B2B companies. But for me, you know, it's it's funny. My largest um, clients are all B2B uh, enterprise technology companies that are, you know, traditionally, I would say, you know, stuffy blue suit wearing, uh, you know, lifers, like you had said. But the interesting part about it is they also have this innate uh, ability to understand that their people are their best products. And their people are why people work with them, they why they buy their software. And so I've worked with, you know, IBM and Capgemini and Deloitte. I, I hosted Dell World this year. And SAP Sapphire is, you know, it's one of those things where I started looking at brands and said, hey, how can I help some of these brands embrace live streaming to tell their story? And the, the biggest problem with that when you're starting with some companies is their story isn't very sexy or their story isn't very exciting. And when you look a layer below that, then you start to say, okay, well, what are they doing that's innovative that I could connect them with a new audience, especially the millennial-based um, audience? And so I, we started working and building a relationship with SAP about two years ago. Um, they started sponsoring our podcast. We started doing some work with them. And really, I can say the all of the brands that I work with are brands that I've had ex trust and influencer relationships with for two-plus years and what we did at Sapphire now is we really we live streamed interviews of us interviewing different you know customers, clients, thought leaders, executives, the you know the CDO, the CMO, the CIO of the company, um, and we and we've done that at the Super Bowl with SAP as well. And really, what our goal is is to really I like to say we translate the geek speak, but we also connect these thought leaders and we ask them questions not that is SAP or asking an SAP or it was more about, Hey, I, I understand the technology, I understand the product, but you know, bring me into the SAP thought process. And it was extremely successful. Um, we're actually working on a couple, uh, projects. I actually have a call tomorrow, um, with one of their, one of their teams for a big product release. And we're going to do some live video integration there. And if you think of it this way for them, live streaming has been their ability to show, that their people are their greatest assets. And I think everyone probably listening to this, no matter what kind of business you're in, I think we all believe that, that you know a company is only great because they have great employees. But I always question and say, do you, you might believe that, but do you actually show that? Do you demonstrate that? Because a majority of companies that say, you know, we trust our employees, we have great leadership. When you go to their website, it's a canned produced video, sometimes not even by employees. It'll say these people are actors because they don't want to have to redo it every time an employee leaves. And I think that that older way of doing it is no longer appropriate. It's no longer okay. And with the technology available to us today, there's no excuse for us not to integrate some of this live uh, access into who a company is because it really does highlight that they do believe that their employees are their greatest assets. And, and SAP was, has just done a great example of that. And, and the event went off uh, without, a, without a hinge. It was, it was a lot of fun. Now, yes, I'm going to just add some color to that because, again, knowing what I know about SAP and their ecosystem, I mean, their CEO is Bill McDermott. And when you when you know, and I'm just kind of speaking to my audience at this point, it, it is one of the most talented, 
workforces that I've ever experienced, honestly, in my life. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. The fact that, but it's always been kind of overlaid with this corporate kind of esque, um, you know, design or communication. So it was really, really refreshing to see. But I'm, I'm curious, right? Because it's doable, right? In other words, here's like you know one of the largest enterprise software companies in the world, and they were able to navigate, I'm sure, what are internal complexities to make this a reality, right? But I would, I'm going to assume, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I'm going to assume there was a champion there, you were working for a couple of years, and that somebody on the SAP side said, yes, we're going to do this, you know, you know, you know full speed ahead, and if it doesn't work out great, you know, maybe it won't, but we're going to give it a shot. I mean, who, who internally was kind of, and, and give us, give my audience a sense, because a lot of times my audience are leaders that want to figure out how to do these things, but they just don't know how to get started, or they don't know how to get buy-in, or they don't know how to get over their fear of, of executing on it. So for the benefit of my audience, can you talk about the, hey, how did the momentum build to where you actually, for the first time, did live video from a big event like Sapphire now? Oh, that's probably what, that's probably the best question I've been asked in a long time because I I I I you know I I'm proud to be a change evangelist. I'm proud to be a consultant that helps you know drive change. But if you really want to drive incremental change, especially you want to drive change in a big organization like SAP, I need a change you know agent inside of the company that's willing to not take no, that's willing to understand the risk versus reward, and of course. You know, mitigating as much risk as we can. But uh, Ursula Ringham is actually the person who was my change agent. And it was funny. We met at a social media event. She actually came up to me and was like, I'm following you for a long time, Brian. You're the only person in social media that I know that's talking about cloud computing and making it not sound boring. And, and we sat down over, you know, uh, over a drink in, in San Diego a couple of years ago. And then she reached out and she's like, I just want to get, you know, SAP, our name involved with your community. And, and she reached out, we, she ended up sponsoring a couple of things. And then we slowly started, you know, um, you know, kind of bringing things on. And for the, you know, for your audience, I believe change is one of those things that you must teach and demonstrate, not tell. And I think if she had gone into her company and said, we need to do this, then I, I believe it would have failed. She would have got so many roadblocks. But what we decided to do was we, we, we took baby steps. They, they started to trust us because they started sponsoring our podcast. And then we started saying, okay, this is what Brian's doing at IBM. This is what Brian's doing or Dan's doing at this event. And we started demonstrating the, the value proposition as well as what the risk and reward was. And uh, I think that's a big mistake for a lot of people that are kind of trying to implement change is just because you haven't done it with that company yet doesn't mean you can't do it a different way to show that how it actually works. And so what we started doing was we were kind of taking those baby steps. And the interesting thing becomes when you start to realize that executives that you want buy-in, if you start focusing on what matters most to them, then you can start to kind of, you know, break down that them just saying no out of the gate. And so we realized that, you know, one one CEO or one executive was really focused on a product release coming up. Another executive was really, um, they had moved in. It was actually uh, Jonathan uh, Becker, and he had moved into uh, a new CDO role, and he really wanted to have, an, have a platform for people to understand what his new role was. And it was the perfect opportunity. She had, uh, Ursula had got buy-in from a couple different departments, which is another thing that if you're out there kind of trying to drive change, you know, it's it's a great idea to kind of get multiple groups involved because 
then you don't have to hit a home run. You can make one or two of them happy with, you know, KPIs. And and some of the KPIs that we were using were, you know, word of mouth, but also we did some lead generation because we know that, you know, you, to satisfy some of these goals, you do have to do some of the traditional marketing to get some of the buy-in. And so we took a lot of different, um, you know, approaches. And our goal was really to provide an excellent product that also allowed them to understand that perfection is no longer the goal. And I think that's why so many brands and so many leaders are scared of a lot of this new technology is because they still are under the impression that perfection should be the goal. And I always ask, you know, does your audience believe that you're a perfect brand? Do you believe that there is any perfect leader out there in the world? And, and the answer is always no. But then why do we hold ourselves accountable for a perfect integration, a perfect marketing campaign, a perfect, you know, um, you know, recruiting uh, project? And I think when you start to get global buy in, you start to understand what are the problems that we can solve for the leadership to kind of give us you know, the go ahead. But also, what are the small wins along the way that we can celebrate? Because if, if our goal was to only do Sapphire now when we started, we would have never got there because we, they, there would have never been enough you know, wins for people to actually give us the trust that they actually have you know, given us in 2016. But we did you know, multiple events. We went to a, a cloud event in uh, New York. We went to a startup event in San Jose. And all of those things were small wins along the way giving us the platform to hit the home run on their on their biggest stage. And uh, I would say it's it's kind of a combination of you have to have a change agent in the company that's willing to work with multiple teams, but you also have to understand, okay, how can I make this executive look good? What are the problems that I can help solve so that they continue to give me buy-in? And uh, SAP has been our, you know, our best uh, client and our best proponent of that because uh, Ursula is a powerful change agent and we were able to kind of hit some of these um, you know, wins along the way. That's fantastic. I love the entire uh, story there, right? And the fact that it's not like an overnight success. And, and what I would, again, speaking more, mostly to my audience here is, listen, again, you have to understand SAP is a, a huge company and getting things done there can be a huge challenge. So the fact that Brian with an internal change in your will pull that off and they can pull that off with that size company it really gives you no excuse, right? Would you agree with that, Brian, that, listen, if a large company like that can do it, then surely a smaller company that's much more nimble and, and can make decisions a little bit more quickly should have almost no barrier to at least experiment and like head in that sort of direction. Correct. And I, you know, I, I, it used to be my tagline, if big blue IBM could do it, what's your excuse? Um, but I think also, you know, when you're a smaller company, you're putting out media, you know, embracing video marketing, even getting into some of these new technologies, it, it, it was an expensive game. You had to have a studio, you had to hire multiple agencies. The interesting thing now is you don't need to do that. You don't need to have that giant budget. And I believe experimenting is essential. And, and something that I'm working on, and it's part of my book, you know, I believe community is the future of business. And for you to invest in your community, you have to be willing to let down your guard. You have to be willing to say, I don't know. You have to be willing to, to allow yourself to be human, which we all know that all brands are. But I also look at every brand as saying, you have a story to tell. And you have to start looking at it and saying, how do I tell it that it relates to my audience? And I think there's a lot of, lot of brands for the longest time that said, I want to tell my story because this is my story. And it's now more about, mm. hey, how do I tell the story that my audience can relate to? And I think that's where these new technologies get there. And there is, I mean, 
it's it's an amazing time because change is happening so fast that the risk of failure and the risk of spending money to kind of fail has has shrunk so yeah. much because now our smartphone is smarter than any laptop that we ever had five years ago. Our our you know the connections we have via digital communication is unlike anything we've ever had before, and and that's not even getting into virtual reality or augmented reality, yeah. which are you know in the near future. And so I look at all of these different things that are going on, all of this change, and I I, I simply say this: you want to do your business. You want to market and build your community and, and, and your, your product where your audience is today. But you want to make sure that you're listening and learning where they're going to be tomorrow. And that requires testing, experimenting, and ultimately asking your audience. Now, that's uh, really good input, right? Because I think with the failure to begin the test puts you further and further behind the curve, right? I mean, that that's what my experience has been. But you mentioned story in the beginning there, right? And that brands are reluctant to tell the story of their community. They want to tell their own story. And what I've, I had a woman, uh, Christine Comerford on my show uh, at the end of last year, and she's a behavioral psychologist, I think. I could be butchering exactly what she does, but she wrote a great book called Smart Tribes, and it's, it's like an emotional intelligence playbook type of thing. But what's interesting, what I find most interesting about it is that it focuses in on the emotional component of how we tell story, because we're wired, our brains are wired to remember by our experiences, which are inevitably told in a story framework. Yet we as businesses for so long just haven't invested in story. And what I'm finding, and I'm curious if you would agree with me, is that the, the technology is the one big boulder, right? Testing it and figuring it out and, and having fear of putting a raw video out there. People are afraid of that. But I'm also finding that the creative necessity to be able to identify a compelling and emotional story is kind of lacking. Like we spent so much time in the tactics of like lead conversion and things like that and the marketing side and sales side that we've forgotten that, listen, our, our, our community is full of people that have interesting lives and we have to tell the story that fits that lives. I'm finding that to be the second kind of boulder in the road is that identifying and tapping into an emotional narrative about what we do for people is not a natural skill for for folks do you find that to be true i couldn't agree more you know you ask you know you go into any big company actually you could go into probably any small company you ask 10 employees what's the story of their company they're going to get 10 different answers and i believe that's partially because you know we want to say that every employee sells that every employee is our you know our greatest recruiting tool is our greatest market greatest marketing tool but for the longest time you know it was kind of a very siloed approach and i would look at a lot of the decisions that brands are making a lot of the decisions that companies are making moving forward is that it's your your employee you know it's no longer technology lives in the cio's department marketing lives in the in the in the cmo's department it is now more about your holistic approach and it's saying you know if you if you're unsure about you know how to integrate something like Snapchat, which, you know, I don't think Snapchat fits in every business, but use it as an example. If you're unsure how Snapchat would fit into your business, I can almost promise that you have multiple employees that understand Snapchat enough to where you could give them part of their KPIs 20 hours a week for a month and allow them, and they would build you a a training and understanding of what your competitors are doing, what who, what kind of customers are there. And that kind of thinking where it's not about having to hire an outside party or not about having to have a, a marketing department that is, you know, embracing their FOMO, you know, which is what I, I help brands with. For me, I really, my goal with every one of my clients is to educate them on who the audience is that's using this technology or this tool, why they're using it, 
what the value proposition and features are that people are discovering there. And then I allow them to make the strategic decision on what makes the most sense for their business. And when you take that approach, because there's no skin in the game for me on which platform or tool they're using. And there's no skin in the game for them because let's face it, we, we tell our story, we create content, we market to, to reach an audience and satisfy an audience's need. But for us, so many brands, I don't believe your employees all understand your story. And I don't believe a lot of brands truly understand their customer. And I don't think there's an excuse for that in 2017 because the amount of social data that exists, I don't care what kind of tool it could, you could be, you know, it could be a tool for only plumbers and it's for, you know, and it's a very small, you know, niche. I believe there's so much data from Yelp reviews to, you know, Twitter posts to Facebook groups to Reddit posts that if you really want to know your customer, if you believe that if you could understand your customer better, that you could provide them a better product or service, I believe you can do that today leveraging social data and drastically change the you know your relationship with your community and I you know one of the things I have on my big board right now that's part of my book as well is the real focus on when you're building community it's not about turning them into customers it's about realizing that when they go from a community to a customer they are your brand advocate for life because they've already bought in, they've already trusted you, and then when it made sense, they actually became a customer. They're, they've now actually flipped the model where before we had to do, you know, uh, lead generation and we had to do cold calling, and then once they started to like our product, then we try to turn them into an advocate and tell them to trust us, and that was a very uphill battle. I now believe we flipped that. And we build a community, we show them that we care about them before they realize that they need us. And then once they do need us, that's when it's a really a, a massive game changer. And you look at companies like Red Bull, look at companies like, you know, that, that are Netflix. They really started by saying, I want to understand my customer first. I want to build a strong community. And then I'm going to integrate products and, and tools in there. And when I do so, I don't even have to ask them to share. I don't even have to really invest a whole lot in marketing and advertising because my greatest you know, asset is the community that I've been building over time. And so I think if you're looking at this moving forward and you want to really you know, take the, the risk and the chance in 2017 and beyond, invest in your community now and focus on how can I t take this community and sh truly show that my brand, my com company cares and by doing so, it's a, it's a recruiting tool. You know, it's funny. I I end up talking about new media. You know, the the new media that's out there today, as more of a recruiting and a retention tool mm, than anything else. And that's not something you're going to hear a lot of places. But if you're thinking about this right now, you're like, ah, I think Brian's a little crazy. Look at it this way: Who is your number one recruiting asset? It's your current employees, right? It's the existing people inside of your company because you know a recommendation from them goes a lot more, you know, a lot, a lot higher than someone that's you know uh, replying on your website. And so, if you're able to highlight your 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 employees, if you're able to bring your community and connect them with your current employees. Ultimately, it grows your recruiting base. It breaks down that barrier, and all, all of a sudden, you start having your customers by advocating for your company. You know, right right here on this show, I said, you know, I love working with SAP because they realize that they have 
invest in their em employees because their people are their greatest assets. That's a, I'm recruit. I'm technically recruiting yeah. for, you know, I'm doing a recruiting job for SAP right there. And I believe every business can do that by investing in their community, but also realizing that it's not, no longer just a marketing play, a sales play. It truly is about this holistic view of community. Brian, that's that's great stuff, man. Honest to God, I, lo I love that you're talking about recruiting uh, because I, I agree with you. I was in front of um, there's a uh, private equity firm here in the Philadelphia region. I did a speaking engagement for them. It was about ten or fifteen of their portfolio companies, HR leaders, and it was about this whole idea of using your employment brand and your company's brand to engage and connect further with your community. And if you think about it, some of the best people, you know, speaking again to my audience, some of your best hires are more often than not, not people you found on a job board or LinkedIn, but somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody that introduced you, right? And if you have that footprint out there and somebody hears this podcast today and hears about how awesome SAP is and maybe there's a gig open SAP, it definitely helps. I love that you're, you're thinking about it that way. Brian, I could literally talk to you for much longer, but I want to be mindful of your time. So listen, before we wrap up here, just give my audience an idea of what you're doing next, where they should tune into you. What's the one thing from you that should, they should be paying attention to and where can they find out more about you? So no, I, I appreciate you having me on and, and this is a lot of fun and, and maybe we'll come back and do a, a part two uh, down the road because I, I do enjoy the, the conversation and you know, I've, I've been very blessed to have a lot of great leaders in my life. Um, I've had a reverse mentorship um, with actually a, a senior VP at the company I worked for, BAE Systems. Um, we became, I started working in his pipeline in 2005 and I happened to sit next to him at lunch one morning and the fire alarm went off. We ended up having to stand outside for an hour and I never knew that that would turn into a friendship, a mentorship, that every quarter we do a SWOT analysis on each other. And um, that was 2005 and I'm a millennial. So the fact that, you know, for me, so much of my success uh, is a lot to do with the community, but leadership. And I love that, you know, that is really a lot of your focus and, and moving forward. And, you know, for me, um, I'm my, my name, of course, is Brian Fanzo, but my my personal brand, my online brand is iSocialFans. And so my website is iSocialFans. You can follow me on all the social channels. But I, I started this solo podcast called FOMO Fans, really with the goal of giving my audience, the community, one place that they could go to say, hey, I need to stay up on the latest trends. I need to understand where things are moving. But I don't have the time to chase every shiny object. I don't have the time to do everything. So if there's one place today, right now, it's FOMO fans. It's in every podcast player. So from iTunes to Google Play, um, if you don't ha have a podcast player and you want to listen to it on your browser, uh, you can go to FOMO fans, F-A-N-Z with a Z at the end. Um, I'm a, that's how my last name is spelled. Um, it's FOMOfans.live. So FOMOfans.live. I have all the links up there. But yeah, I, I, I appreciate the, the chance to to speak with your audience, and I look forward to uh, more opportunities in the, in the near future. Listen, I'm going to echo. I just listened to an episode uh, on your missing out on the Consumer Electronics Show. And what I loved about that, and I'm going to encourage my fans to go check, um, or encourage my audience to go check it out. It's incredibly transparent, right? It's just a discussion. You're just kind of burying your soul about, hey, listen, this is how this is me. I'm genuinely upset about missing this show, and here's why, and here's how I'm dealing with it. And I, I look, I loved it. I love that episode. I love that kind of transparency. I love that kind of sincerity. So go ahead and check Brian's uh, FOMO fans podcast at the address, and I'll certainly post it as well. And again, we've been speaking with Brian Fanzo. He is also known as I Social Fans. And I am absolutely thrilled that he joined me today on Leading Matters. Brian, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me.